Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 19, and can be found on page 85 of most of your pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the NIV 2011 version, which will slightly differ from what you have in your pew Bibles. Page 815, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you had received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are, of all people, most to be pitied. May God bless the reading of his word. I don't know how many of you are like me, but I don't like to be reminded of things that I already know. When I was a child, uh, I had math homework, and math is my worst subject, always was. I still have nightmares about whether or not I really passed high school, because I think about how difficult math was for me. And just recently, Evie and I were in Florida, uh, and I went to my home church, First Baptist Church of Titusville, and I saw my eighth grade math teacher. And when I saw him, I trembled like, like this. And the reason why I trembled is because not only was I mad in math, it reminded me of all the times where my mother reminded me to do my math homework. Well, the problem was not that I needed the reminder. The, the problem was and is and always will be, I don't understand math. Okay, So doing my homework um, doesn't matter because I don't need to be reminded. I'm just bad at math. Now, some of you have things that you like to be reminded of, and you're happy that somebody reminds you of it. Some of you have 
other things like me and math that you wish people wouldn't remind you of. But when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right beginning in the first few verses, we see that there's something that the Apostle Paul reminds the brothers and sisters in the church in Corinth about. And that's the same thing that I want to remind you about today on this Easter Sunday. And some of you are out there and you're saying, I've heard it before. In fact, Pastor Tim, I was there for the joint worship service. I just heard you preach on the resurrection. So what are you going to say now? Well, it's not the same message. It's a little bit different. I don't recycle the messages. Um, But I am going to remind you of a fact that hasn't changed between the first service and this service. I'm going to remind you of something that hasn't changed for more than 2,000 years. I'm going to remind you, brothers and sisters, this morning of something that you really do need to be reminded of. That it's easy to forget when you just get busy with your life and focus on things other than what's most important in all the universe. And what's most important today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I unashamedly remind you of something that you've heard before and before and time again and time and time and time and time and time again. Something that your parents taught you when they were just teaching you how to read. Something that you learned in Sunday school. Something that you've heard on the radio. Something that you've read in a book. Something that everybody knows but yet often doesn't sink in to their lives. I want to remind you of the gospel that Paul preached to the Corinthians and still preaches to us today. And notice in chapter 15, verse 1, he explains this little process of what happened here. It starts with the fact that he preached the gospel to them. And then notice what they did. They received it. And then on that gospel, they have taken their stand. They said, this is truth. This is where I peg my salvation. This is the religion that I choose. This is the person on whom I hang my eternal destiny. Not on Buddha. Not on Confucius. Not on Muhammad. I take my stand on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so he reminds them that this is where they were and this is what they have done. And notice, there actually is an inseparable connection between verse 1 and 2. Where he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached, you received, on which you've taken your stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. This is very interesting, because when you read this, he says that you're saved, but it's conditional. Do you see that, verse 2? By this gospel, you are saved, if you do what? What do you do? If you what? What do you do? Look at your text. Somebody answer. If you what? You're only saved if. What's the if? What is the if? Verse 2. Anybody get it? Say it again. Thank you. Uh, Out of the mouth of babes. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, The youth get it in our congregation. If you hold firmly to the word that he preached. In other words, what was happening in Corinth and what happened in Galatia, and we've been going through that. We started in our series in Galatians. We'll get more into that. But what happened is, is the church heard the gospel in Corinth and they believed 
And they were saved. And then these people came into the church. And 2 Corinthians tells you an awful lot about what happened in the church in Corinth. And they started moving people away from the message and moving them away from Paul and Christ's true apostles and moving them someplace else. And so Paul says, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word of the gospel. Now, I find that often people worry about this question, and some of you here today have worried about this question, and it even came up briefly uh, in the response that I was asking last week when we were going through the Galatians series. And I know that some of you consider the question and are worried about the question of, can you lose your salvation? Now, if you've ever worried about whether or not you could lose your salvation, I want you to raise your hand and be honest. Ready? Raise your hand. If you've ever worried about your salvation, in other words, that you could lose it, Okay. So, many of you have worried about that. I've worried about that. And why do we worry about it? We worry about it because we know that after we become Christians, sometimes we, can, we continue to sin. And if we continue to sin, then we wonder, well, am I really a Christian? Because do true Christians really do that? Or you wonder how many times you can sin and then God's still going to forgive you. And so, when Paul reminds the Christians here that they should hold to the gospel, he's reminding them that it's the gospel from first to last. It's the gospel from the beginning of your Christian life until you leave this world, and you continue to hold to it because you continue to need it, and because you continue to believe it if you are a true Christian. So, the problem here is is that the the question that you're asking yourself is the wrong question. You shouldn't ask yourself the question, can I lose my salvation? You should ask yourself the question, what does it really mean to be saved? And what it really means to be saved is that once God puts faith in your heart, you continue to believe, you continue to repent, you continue to go back to Jesus, you continue to pray the Lord's Prayer on a day-to-day basis, um, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And you realize that, yes, I'm not perfect, I still screw up, I still mess up. But nevertheless, you are in Him. He's in you. You belong to Jesus. And He's not going to throw away His child because you belong to Jesus. Salvation is not simply about your good and your benefit and what you get on the last day. Salvation is about the glory of God and the fact that God has redeemed the people to praise Him for all eternity. It's not just about you. In fact, it's not about you at all on the last day. Because on that last day, nobody's going to be talking about your accomplishments. You're going to take your crowns. You're going to throw them at the feet of Almighty Jesus. And you're going to praise the One who by His glorious grace died for you and is risen for you. And so Paul says, focus on what the Gospel is. Why does it seem like some people believe for a time and then... And then leave the faith and then stop believing? Well, those are the people who aren't worried about whether or not they're saved. They don't care anymore. Because, as Jesus said in the parable of the sower, they never had a firm root in themselves to begin with. They heard the word, it seemed like it sprung up with joy, and then after a while, boom, they're gone. They're out of there. When persecution or affliction arises because of the word, they're out of there. When troubles come and it gets difficult and you deal with the stark realities of a sinful world where people get sick and they die and your prayers aren't answered. A lot of people are out of there. But the true Christians continue to hold to the Gospel. The Gospel of grace, the Gospel of Christ, the Gospel that saves if we hold on to it. Now, I'm not making your salvation contingent upon your activity. What I'm pointing out is 
that the faith that you get that is a gift from God is a faith that doesn't stop until you leave here. And if it does stop, you show that it was only a temporary faith or a situational faith. Like people turn to God when they pull God out of their broom closet when they want Him for something, and then when He doesn't give them what they want, they leave. That's situational faith. And many people, it seems like they have that, but then they leave and they don't stand. And so Paul reminds them that you stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ, otherwise the faith that you have is of no use. It's in vain. So notice what happens as he goes on in verse 3. What he's reminding them of are simply the facts of the gospel. For For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing more important than what he says here. And all of human history, and all the books that have been written, and all the sermons that have been preached, and every single thing that we can consider in the world, the thing that is of first importance is what he says in these verses. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures of the Old Testament through which God prophesied of the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Through which Isaiah spoke by faith. Through which Moses spoke by faith. Through which Abraham spoke by faith. Through which all of the prophets of the Old Testament spoke by faith. The scriptures told about the one who would come and who would die. And the sins of all the world would be placed upon him. So Christ died for our sins. What does that mean, Christ died for our sins? A lot of people think that means simply forgiveness. And if you were here for the first service, raise your hand if you were here for the first service. Okay? All right. Good. That tells me how much I need to uh, stress this next point. Because many of you weren't here. When Christ died for our sins, it wasn't simply to take the penalty for our sin. It wasn't simply to cancel our debts. It wasn't simply to forgive us. When Christ died for our sins, He died to deal with sin in relationship to God as He looks upon us. So now God can look upon us as holy and righteous and pure. He died for our sins so that sin and sins would no longer rule us in our lives because we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that died for our sins is comprehensive in scope. And it is one of the most amazing statements that's ever been made. Think about it. All that you've done that's wrong. All that you've done that shames you. All that you've done that you'd be dreadfully afraid of if people would know the truth about it today. And Jesus has taken it away on the cross. I have my moments. I have my good moments. I have my bad moments. I have my moments where I feel like I'm walking in the Holy Spirit. I have my moments where I'm more than conscious and aware that I'm a sinner. And this week was one of those weeks. Um, And I found myself struggling with the flesh, struggling with my mouth. And I said something um, on Friday. And after I said it, I said, I got to preach on Sunday. Why can I say something like this? And then I'm going to get up on the pulpit on Sunday and then preach the gospel to everyone. And I was reminded of the fact that I'm a sinner, but I went to Jesus. I repented. He cleansed me. I felt new again. And then I moved from complaining into praise. Jesus died not only that we would be forgiven, but that we might be changed and washed. And notice, Christ died for our sins. Verse 4, He was buried. Some people think He wasn't really killed. Some people think that He wasn't really dead. Some people think that it was fate. But Paul says, no, He was buried. 
and that on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Now, what happens at this point is quite interesting. Paul gives the historical record of who Jesus appeared to and what happened as a result. First, he appeared to Cephas, appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to all the twelve disciples. We get that at the end of the Gospels. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So what it meant to be an apostle was you had to see the risen Christ with your own eyes. But notice there were 500 people who saw Christ raised from the dead with their own eyes who were not called apostles. So why were these people, including Paul, called apostles? Well, they not only saw him, they received a commission and through those people who God designated as his apostles, God brought the gospel into the world. God did extraordinary miracles to attest to the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And so Paul reminds them of what happened and the order in which it happened. And he makes this interesting comment. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. At the time when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, some of the people who saw Jesus with their own eyes, just like Paul had seen the risen Christ with his own two eyes, some of those people were still living. Now, I find this very interesting because some people doubt the fact of the resurrection. And the reason why Christianity continued to grow, the reason why we have a Bible to hold, the reason why we're even in this place worshiping God on this day was because of what Paul says right here. Because it's only on the basis of a historical fact of an empty tomb and a risen Savior. It wasn't just that they run to the tomb and they say, oh, somebody moved the rock. Must have been a big dude. Somebody who works out with Pastor Tim at BSC. You know, they moved the rock. But looking in, ain't nobody there. Is that what, what the message is? No. The message is, is that that one who was in the tomb came out of the tomb. And not only that, he's, he appeared to people. One of his homeboys, Thomas, wasn't quite sure. Jesus, come here. A little bit closer. Let me see. Let me see your hands. Let me see your side. Unless I see your hands and your side, I'm not going to believe And Jesus says, blessed are those who, like us, believe and yet do not see. But why do we believe? We believe because of the eyewitness of the apostles and these 500 people, many of whom were still alive. Imagine that if you had 20 years of your life after seeing the resurrected Christ to go tell people, He's risen. When you die, you can live again if you trust in Him. He's risen. You can have power over your sins right now. He's risen. I know you're crying because you lost that loved one who trusted Christ, but you'll see them again because just as surely as He was raised from the dead, you will rise too. And imagine, for decades, all these people went around preaching that they themselves saw the resurrected Christ. And that's why we have Christianity. It's not some funky fairy story that somebody came up with when they were dreaming up their own religion like many people dream up their religions. No, brothers and sisters, he said, this is a historical fact. Now, many of you know that I grew up in Titusville, Florida, um, a very unnamed city in the middle of nowhere in central Florida, Redneckville, um, a place that I left, a place that I sometimes 
go back to, but Titusville's main claim to fame is the fact that Kennedy Space Center is right in front of it, and my house was right on the river, and Kennedy Space Center was right in front of my house, and my friend's parents worked on the Apollos, worked on the Skylabs, worked on the shuttles, worked on all that stuff out there at Kennedy Space Center, and then when those things went up in the air, I saw it, every single one of them, from Apollo 1 to uh, Apollo 17. I saw it all with my own eyes. I've seen all the Skylabs go up. I've seen more than 25 of the shuttles go up and some of them land in Florida as well as I would go back to Florida during my college years and, and after that. And so I have seen that. I saw those Saturn fives, fives that went to the moon in 1969 in July. And in fact, it was so loud that when the rocket went up, it split our house. It caused a crack right in our house because it was so loud. And yet I still run into people, including one of my dear Facebook friends, who thinks that we never went to the moon. And she doubts the fact that we went to the moon. But what I tell her is that we did. What was that, son? What was that question? We did go to the moon. And some of you are too young to have seen it. But I was there. I saw it. I'm old enough to say I saw it. Raise your hand if you were alive in 1969. Raise your hand. Okay. You saw the TV. I saw the thing go up. And I saw the astronauts when they came down. Now, maybe it was faked. You know, people say, oh, well, it was faked on on the moon. Well, then I have a question. If it was faked, then how, when they jumped up, did they have altered gravity? Nobody's ever answered that question. But in any case, the point I'm trying to make is, is that we believe that man went to the moon because people are alive now who saw it with their own eyes. And that's the point Paul is making. That our faith rests upon historical fact. And even though some people doubt, there's no reason to doubt. Many people today are doubting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many people are doubting what's in the Word of God. I even saw how the Pope, the present Pope, doubts the reality of hell and thinks that when people die, they just sort of poof and go away. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And just as surely as the Bible says that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we believe the other facts of the Bible as well, including the fact that when people die, they either go into the presence of the Lord or they do go into hell and do eternal torment. And that's what the Bible says. And the reason why we believe all that's in the Bible is because we believe the fact of the resurrection. And without the resurrection, the Bible's ridiculous. So notice that what Paul goes on to say is that without the resurrection, your faith is worthless. And he says this as as he um, goes on in verse 12. But notice, before he even gets to 12, there's something in the passage that I didn't put in my outline, but I want to spend a moment looking at it. Paul talks about the order of of the apostles and who appeared to whom first. And then, verse 7, Christ appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then last of all, he appeared to Paul. One abnormally born, the Greek says, an abortion, a stillbirth. One that came out way too early and didn't make it. And then notice how he describes himself in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is the man through whom God wrote most of the New Testament letters that we have. And notice how he describes himself. The least of the apostles. 
In 1 Corinthians, he describes himself as being the least of, a, of the apostles who's not fit to be called an apostle because he's, he persecuted the church of God. And then in the middle of Ephesians, which came a little bit later, he says, to me, the least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then towards the end of his ministry, his estimation of himself has moved from being the least of the apostles to the least of all the saints. To then, he says as he writes to Timothy, towards the end of his life and towards the end of, the, of his ministry, he doesn't say, I'm the least of the apostles. He doesn't even say, I'm the least of, the, of all saints. You know what he says? He says, I am the chiefest of sinners. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. As God's grace worked in Paul... And through Paul, God did so many amazing things. His estimation of himself went down and down and down and down and down. Brothers and sisters, that's what grace does. The more it grips your heart, the more you see how unworthy you are in the sight of a holy God. You don't see yourself as the mature Christian that everybody should look up to because you've believed in Jesus for 40 years like I have or more, more than 40 years. No, you see yourself more and more and more as the person who clings to nothing but the amazing grace of God. And by God's grace, you're saved. And through God's grace, you do the ministries and the things that God calls you to do. And when he does it, he says, I worked harder than all the apostles, but yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Are you doing your ministry through the grace of God? I've heard so many of you say to me, oh, I'm burnt out, Pastor. Just don't, I don't want to go to a small group anymore. just can't take it anymore. You want to know what your problem is? You're not living out of the grace of God in all of your life. In all of your ministry. Because you know what the grace of God does? It inspires you. It fills you. It empowers you. And you do more than anyone else. Why have I been able to get um, one bachelor's degree, four master's degrees, one honorary master, and a PhD, all while working full-time, having a family, and doing a ministry, and being a missionary? I'll tell you why. It's because of God's grace. And because I didn't trust myself, I trusted the Lord. And I worked within my limitations. And I preached and I went where God told me to preach. And I did what God told me to do. But I didn't trust myself. I trusted His grace. Brothers and sisters, if you trust God's grace in your life for your salvation and then cling to that grace, you'll find power to do ministry that you've never done before in a way that won't lead to burnout. So notice what happens as Paul goes on. He moves from saying some people doubt this resurrection to then making this conclusion. Look at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. You see, if the resurrection is not a historical fact, then believing in it doesn't accomplish anything. More than that, if we say that the resurrection is true and it really didn't happen, then we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But if He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised, then if the dead are not raised, Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see that? Impeccable logic. 
Christ isn't raised. If there is no resurrection, Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, you're still in your sins. And not only that, you've testified falsely against God. And not only that, your faith right now is worthless. And not only that, that all those Christian relatives who died, Paul calls it fallen asleep in Christ, they're as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And if in this life we have hoped only in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know what he's saying? He's saying if your Christianity isn't true, if your belief is not rooted in, in historical fact, then you guys are stupid. You're dumb. You're pitiful. We ought to look at you and say, oh God, that's, that's like so messed up. That person is so wrong. They're so to be pitied. They're holding to some crazy religion that's based upon myth rather than fact and story rather than truth. And there's people today who want to evacuate the gospel message of the historicity of it and only focus in on the subjective aspect and say, oh, well, good, that works for you. Well, over here, Buddha works for me. And over here, New Age works for me. And so it's okay. Whatever you believe is fine. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that. doesn't really matter now. Because in their mind, it wasn't a historical fact. And that's what it is that they're denying when they want to deny history and deny the power of what happened when people witnessed the resurrection. And then the entire Roman world was changed because of people who believed that just as Christ came out of the tomb, they too would rise again no matter what people would do to them. How would you face it right now if someone came and put a gun to your face and said, I'll kill you right now if you don't renounce Christ? Would you be willing to say, bring it on, baby? That's what the gospel is all about. It's about an unshakable faith and a historical fact, which is very true. And as you hold to it, will be the strength of your soul for all eternity. And if it didn't happen, we are the biggest losers on the planet. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's what Paul proclaims to you today. Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures. He's raised, and if you believe in Him, you're not the one who's most to be pitied. You're the one who's filled with praise, who's filled with thankfulness today on this Easter Sunday, because you know the one in whom you have believed, and you are persuaded that He is able to keep your faith and to keep you And keep that which he has committed until the end of that day. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, until the day that we see you face to face, we hold fast to these wonderful truths that we've been reminded of in this passage today. We thank you, Lord, for the strength of the resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you that Jesus is raised from the dead. And we're not pitiful. We're not miserable. We didn't spend all the money for this beautiful sanctuary for nothing. That there's a reason. And that reason is, Lord, we want to come together. We want to worship you with all of our hearts. We want to thank you. We want to praise you until that moment that all those who have died in you come back with you. And we see them face to face as we are transformed in an instant into eternal glory, never to die again. Lord, by faith, we not only celebrate your resurrection today, we celebrate the fact that you're coming back. We celebrate all that you are to us. We celebrate that you're our power right now. We celebrate that your grace is what works through us. We celebrate all that you've done for us according to the Scriptures. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.